For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Greetings, you're listening to Cantus Firmus. What follows is a conversation I had with my friend John D'Angelo on uh, his Instagram channel, The Anti-War War Vet. We talked about police brutality and how it can be solved. We talked about the uh, police killing of George Floyd and how it brought people together of different political perspectives. Uh, and then whether or not riots uh, have undermined um, that agreement. We also spoke about whether or not there's hope for the future that these, uh, this issue can be resolved, and also Christian hope. Um, so I don't usually get too explicitly political in this podcast, um, you know, sometimes very broadly, but, uh, but I thought there was some good stuff there, and I wanted to share it. Also, um, it's interesting conversation because my friend John is an anarchist, and uh, I'm more broadly libertarian, uh, though I, I can swing anarchist sometimes. I get it. <laughs> um, so there's some there's some useful uh, discussion about what it might look like to have a free and stateless society, or at least moving in that direction. So um, even if you don't uh, have that perspective, you, you might find the conversation interesting. So hope you enjoy it. Oh, and you need to follow my friend John on Instagram at anti-war war vet. Thanks. Hey everybody. Uh, thanks for checking in here. Um, I'm John. Uh, and tonight I'm going to be talking to Cody Cook, who, uh, is a friend of mine now, I think at this point, I hope he's okay with me saying that. And, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on with the protests, um, with Black Lives Matter, with, um, George Floyd ultimately, but sort of the, uh, more overarching issue of police brutality, and then uh, a little bit about how we as Christians should um, should be thinking about the issue of police brutality, and um, ultimately the the issue of uh, hey everybody, thanks um, about the issue of us as Christians um, and how we relate to it. Here's Cody. Now I'm going to. Uh, connect to him and we'll see if this works hello cody what's up hey man thanks for stopping by yeah i uh, kind of in my office here i got a weird lighting situation so it looks like i've kind of got a halo or something but yeah that's perfect it's, uh... all right so i was just saying uh, i was just doing a quick intro but ultimately um i was saying how we were hoping to talk a little bit about what's going on with the George Floyd killing, the protests that followed, and then uh, sort of our response as Christians and what we should be thinking about for this. Uh, because I think, uh, you know, my feed is, is a, I guess, a mix, right? There's plenty of Christians that are there, but there's also plenty of people who um, are secular. And, and the response doesn't really seem to have any distinctions for Christians, uh, by and large. It's sort of your, your political positioning um, is sort of post hoc justified with your Christ following or not. And I wonder if there's not some hard and fast rules for us as Christians to, uh, to think about this issue. And maybe, maybe we can take apart a little bit about what's been going on. Uh, I, the more, the more that this continues, the more I feel hopeful. Um, and I, I shared that with you the other day on your podcast, but um, I'm feeling extremely hopeful for where we're at right now, for the, for the conversation after George died. I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are. Yeah, well, so I want to say, first of all, the last time we did a video chat, I think you were shirtless, and I felt like I was in a Red Hot Chili Peppers video. So this yeah, is yeah. A- I, only do, I only do podcasts naked. 
Well, I think I think it helps sell. I mean, obviously, so far the numbers are not very high, and I can see why. <laughs> but um, no, the um, yeah, you know, there is this interesting thing, um, this shifting of identities, where in the past um, people would would ground their identities in family relationships and and you know faith communities, and I think you're seeing that less and less. You're seeing a lot more people grounding their identity in political um, affiliation, which is really a terrible. Thing to ground your identity in, mm-hmm. and I think so. That, that that's I think a big part of the problem is that we we kind of bring those presuppositions to you know an issue like this, and I mean, obviously that, that that should be a major concern for Christians because I, I understand politically speaking, you can read the Bible and that you might find a passage that seems seems kind of conservative or seems kind of liberal. <laughs> um, and, and I have my own political viewpoints and I, I, I've tried my best to ground them in scripture and let scripture speak for itself. Mm. Um, but, but ultimately there is this sort of thing that's transcendent where when we're talking about politics, we're talking about these kind of complicated power dynamics, this side of the eschaton, this side of the coming of Christ. And when we make those concerns primary, we, we really miss out on, on the big picture. And so I guess that that, that would be my, my major concern as a Christian looking at the political responses. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit more than just letting your politics bleed into your, um, your, your way of living or your way of viewing different situations and more so. Um, and I think that this is the result of, a hyper involved politic body where we have this government that just is in, intruding on every aspect of our lives. And so by necessity, we make everything political. And, um, you know, it, it certainly has its, its roots in various um, progressive era issues that we could flesh out maybe another time. But ultimately I think it's more so that Christians are allowing their, their, their role as part of the Christian body to kind of take a back seat and to let um, the various political leanings that they have come to the fore. And to me, that's disturbing because I, I think that there are some, some areas that we should be finding more agreement on. And, you know, I'm, I'm generally pretty hard on the right, probably because that's where I find the most, the most maybe common ground or like where I think I belong. Um, if you were to pick a polar spectrum. Um, but the right to me is far more responsible for this because so often um, we, don't, we don't see them living, the right Christians, I should say, are not living the basic sort of edicts that we're kind of all supposed to collectively understand as Christians. Um, and I'm, I, I don't know what the cause is and I don't know what the solution is, except to say that you know, maybe we need to be reading more Matthew four or five. Uh, I don't know, but um, that and that's kind of where I always come back to is like, how how am I living out the the Sermon on the Mount, or am I? And um, obviously, there's far more to it than that. But um, as far as Christ's teachings are concerned, I think that it's a it's a really um, it's a really high bar that he set there, and it's one that we actively sort of go against when we're uh, dealing with these political issues that that really don't need to we could be far more loving when we're talking about black lives matter as right leaning christians yeah for sure Uh, you know i think i'm probably harder on conservatives partly because on some level i guess on some level i feel more conservative on some levels i don't but Mm. i think the reason i'm harder on christian conservatives is because um first of all there's more of them They, they shape the christian culture more um, and they also tend to be the ones who claim to have the highest view. <laughs> and so I think there's a certain, I think, you know, you go back to Jesus, there's, there's a certain um, frustration with hypocrisy <laughs> that he, a special frustration with hypocrisy that he seems to have. And so, you know, I think when somebody says, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm a progressive Christian and I don't really take the Bible that seriously and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, whatever. You're allowed to think whatever you want. But um, I think when somebody claims to sort of be speaking for the biblical viewpoint, it is very frustrating when they seem to miss pretty major elements. And I think particularly if you talk about the Sermon on the Mount, this, this kind of um, 
mealy-mouthed approach to violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, I've got a picture, of, a poster of Malcolm X in my background, but I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian pacifist. And what's fascinating to me is you talk to white conservative Christians, or just white conservatives sometimes, and uh, when they talk about nonviolence, their their attitude toward it is very different depending on who's the one who's not who's responding with nonviolence. So you know if they're comparing like a Malcolm X to a Martin Luther King, well, okay, well, obviously it, for black people we really want them to be nonviolent. But 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 when when a white guy comes out and says, hey, you know, I think Jesus wants us to love our enemies and and turn the other cheek, they're like, okay, whatever, you're a coward, you're a wimp, you know, people are going to come in your house and rape your wife and kill your children, and uh, and so. There, there's this there's this very kind of opposite contrary view that a conservative tends to have about violence. And you can say the same thing for the left. They're, they're very uh, ad hoc about how they put these things together. Um, but it is interesting to see the way conservatives might justify, for example, police violence. Um, and there's this sort of an assumption of innocence on the part of the police. Um, and, I th- and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that conservatives fundamentally see the world politically um, as an economy between two things, a, um, a chaos on one side and order on the other side. And police represent this, uh, their symbol of this order um, impulse. And the sheep dogs. Uh, what's that? The sheep dogs. The sheep dogs. Yeah. Protecting us from the, from the sheep, from the, from the wolves, protecting the sheep from the wolves. Yeah. And so, um, so anybody who goes up against the police or, or, or any has any kind of altercation with the police, there's an assumption, well, then that person must be part of the, representing this sort of chaos approach. Um, and so obviously progressives see it very differently. A- every time there's something like this that happens with police brutality, there's an assumption of quite the opposite, that um, every time that something like this happens, whoever is going up against the police is, is well, particularly if they're um, of color, um, that they are innocent and they're an oppressed uh, minority or oppressed group or oppressed whatever. And that the police represent this um, oppressor mentality. They, they represent the, the, the enforcement arm of the oppressive state. And so I don't actually think it's loving. I mean, I, I'm a libertarian. I, I have pretty strong views about force and, and violence, but I don't really think it's loving re- really to have either approach to, to come into a situation and just assume what you think is going to be the case before you know anything. <laughs> um, but, 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 but we do come into it, these political biases and we reinforce them and we look for evidence. Um, you know, all this talk about, well, you know, George Floyd has committed some crime in the past that we dug up. Okay. What does that have to do with the fact that he was handcuffed and arrested and on the ground and couldn't resist and yet he was still killed. Right. But, but there's this, we're going to try to go back and rationalize it and make it okay somehow. Um, yeah, and I, to, to that point, I, I think it's really interesting. I, I constantly struggle with this thought that I am fighting a straw man when I'm talking about like what the Twitter, Twitter sphere is saying and like what the hive mind is talking about versus what like an individual that I'd poll on the street would say. Because if you were to gauge um, the conservative or liberal thought, and I use those terms, you know, contemporarily, uh, mm-hmm based on what you saw on your newsfeed, I think you would be rightly horrified uh, because of how much it lacks nuance, if for nothing else. And um, I, I think that most people, like I'm from Northeast Connecticut, right? And Connecticut is a strongly blue state, has been for a long time. Uh, there's a lot of like centrist leftists, progressives. And I, I feel um, relatively comfortable speaking to that audience because I've lived amongst it for so long. And I'm not, a million miles removed from a lot of their really important issues as a libertarian. Um, But I also feel like if I allow my understanding of what my newsfeed says about Black Lives Matter um, in its most um, racially charged and, and maybe divisive terms, we won't find any common ground. And so that's all to say, I think that sometimes if we think about like, whatever the centrist position is, and maybe try to speak to that, we're better off. But I always find myself grabbing onto like the fringes of these various groups, left and right, and making uh, value judgments about them or the implications of those various things. And so for example, um, with the, the latest protests, Black Lives Matter has come out and they've made a list of demands again. And um, 
this is not like a central organization, right? So they're, they don't have like a person who speaks for them or their views, but um, whether it's at like various institutions or it's nationwide, they want things that I think just aren't necessarily in line with what we're seeing on the ground. And it's because they use terms like black genocide and stuff like that. And I, I don't think that's useful though I do understand the sentiment and I, I don't disagree necessarily or at all rather that police are overly violent, overly militarized, not people that I want to necessarily take the side of. But in, in every one of these political issues, I find myself almost on the opposite side of whoever I'm talking to almost by accident because like I, I just don't really seem to find a home anywhere um, except talking to, to people like you. Um, but you know, with this Floyd moment, even though there's a lot of kind of craziness circulating, I think I'm hopeful because we've seen police executions in the past, right? Like just point blank, um, seemingly objectively awful killings of Americans. Um, the one that really struck me early on was Philando Castile um, when he was pulled over by a Hispanic cop and shot in the passenger seat after he had told the cop that he was a carrier that he had a pistol on him, but he was going to get his registration or whatever, reached into his pocket and he shot him. And there was a four-year-old in the back with his girlfriend driving. It was his daughter or their daughter or her daughter, I don't really know, but there's a video afterwards where they're both in the cruiser, the, the girlfriend is handcuffed and the, the baby is crying, um, asking what happened to him. And yeah. uh, it's, it's brutal to watch. Like I. I've seen a lot of trauma in my life. I've been in emergency medicine and the Marine Corps. I, I can handle it, but it, it struck me. Um, and there was really no, no movement like this one for this. And this one, George Floyd's death is not, I'm not, um, I'm not saying that it wasn't grotesque, but it certainly wasn't the worst thing we've seen on video from a cop killing an American. Um, and so I'm hopeful that the, the conversation is changing and maybe we're getting to a point where um, there's been a, bi a big enough coalition built amongst people who want to see change. But I'm concerned that we're not really diagnosing the problem correctly. Um, so I'm curious what you think. Do you, do you have hope um, in this situation relative to the past ones? And do you think that we have any chance of diagnosing this problem and treating it correctly? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting that you, you ask about that, because I mean, I've been thinking about whether or not this video was more extreme, or why is it that this one, I think, sparked universal outrage? Um, and, you know, is it that we're, um, we're more willing to acknowledge brutality because we've been kind of slowly acclimating to it? Because, you know, eventually you just kind of get to this point where the... Um, what do you call it when you can't hold two, two opposing ideas in your head at the same time, the uh, cognitive dissonance. Cognitive distance, yeah. yeah I, I think, you know, eventually you get to the point where like, okay, obviously there must be some kind of a problem. This is the hundredth time I've had to make an, a, a dumb excuse like this. <laughs> um, so maybe that's part of it. Cause I don't know that it's more extreme than others, but it, it is extreme, but no, I, sure. I think, I, I think I agree with you that the Castile video is <sighs> intense, but um my, I guess my, I have reason for hope because there was a very quick and universal response that shocked me because friends of mine who are conservative, who are always cop apologists, I think acknowledged immediately that this was a problem and they weren't willing to support the cops. Even like police, police departments and police unions were speaking out about it. And you know, they, they, they tend to have a real back the blue attitude. But, um, but I guess on the other hand, one of the reasons I have a little bit of pause about being hopeful is it didn't take long for um, for the kind of conservative side to sort of fortify itself. <laughs> and I think obviously riots had something to do with that. Um, yeah. You know, Nixon, you know, won the presidency in 68 on the promise of uh, what's supposedly a racist dog whistle of law and order and progressives often point out, well, you know, this is because America was hopelessly racist, but of course, Lyndon B. Johnson had won the election just a few years earlier, in 1964, right after pushing through the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Um, and I think that suggests that America as a whole, anyway, wasn't, wasn't quite as racist as we might have thought. So then we have these two opposing ideas. A law and order candidate wins right after a 
civil rights candidate wins. So what does that tell us? And I think the what, what, what matters um, or what happened between those two things were riots. And that really kind of shaped the way people were thinking about it because there were a lot of, you know, I think, you know, well-to-do white people who, you know, weren't at least, you know, if they were racist, maybe it's in a more subtle sense that we talk about racism. Um, but they were like, yeah, I, I get civil rights and you know, some pretty bad stuff happened in Mississippi and all that. And we should, we should do something about that. And they, you know, I think cared about that. But then once you turn on the TV and you see cities burning, um, you, you may care about that a little bit more than you care about civil rights. At least a lot of people at the time felt that way, you know? And I think that did push people back in the other direction. You know, yes, of course, civil rights, but also more importantly, law and order. <laughs> um, yeah. And so the question is, um, does, does that push things in the other direction? Because, you know, people always quote Martin Luther King as saying riots are the language of the unheard, which is, which is true, but they don't seem to quote him saying that, you know, every riot helps racist and violent, violent politicians like George Wallace, which he also said. <laughs> um, now, that being said, of course, we're also seeing lots of videos of police violence during what appear to be peaceful protests. And so there's this kind of all these sort of all these um, talking points <laughs> that you can get from either side, depending on how you want to emphasize it, what narrative you want to bring to it. But I think at some point, a narrative does break down when you have so much evidence of a problem. Um, but I, I do suspect that there's going to be some kind of a calibration between a civil rights and a law and order approach. Um, and so I don't know what that looks like. I mean, obviously, you know, in this, for example, the upcoming presidential election, does, does Trump win because people are afraid of riots or does Trump lose because he's mishandled everything he's, he's done for the most part? <laughs> um, um, and so I don't know, but what I will say is I think to find lasting unity, we need to be properly motivated to value unity. And usually I think that happens during a crisis um, that, that sort of makes our political squabble seem small. And, you know, maybe if people really look at police violence and see it as a genuine crisis, if these videos and, and some of the data that's coming in that make people go, okay, yes, this is a problem. We should get together on this and find some solutions. Then that works. But, you know, I, I wish it were possible for people to be more motivated by positive things than these sort of negative motivations. Like when you look at how we responded to 9-11 and Corona and terrorism, you know, those are these sort of negative motivators, fear. Um, and it's much harder to get people to want to act out of love or concern for others. Mm -hmm. um, to, to, to reverse the biblical wisdom, we've learned that perfect fear casts out love. <laughs> um, so I'm, Partly optimistic, partly pessimistic. You know, it's it's hard to predict the future. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's hard to predict the future. I guess is what I'd say. Yeah. There's some reasons to think that something is going to change because, at the very least, we have, we've shifted. So even if we recalibrate a little bit more to the right, there's been overall a shift in the other direction. Yeah, and I think you know, I think the protests. Um, that do devolve into riots or burning cities down, looting these small businesses. I saw a video of a woman, elderly woman getting beaten in front of, while her elderly husband was also being beaten for trying yeah. to protect their, their shop. Um, you know, it's so easy to look at that and to say, you know, let's cast off this entire thing because that's objectively horrible. Um, I saw a video today of a truck who apparently was running through the protests, but the only part of the video that showed, and I didn't, I couldn't find anything else on it was like hundreds of people mobbing this guy's truck. Uh, and it looked like a, like a 80 zombie movie. It was wild. And, um, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he did in fact run a bunch of people over and that's why they were attacking him. But, um, you, you know, you see these manifestations of, of the, the mob and um, these, I mean, I think everyone should be in agreement that these things are bad, um, that looting and burning is bad and that. Um, no one should be, but, 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 you know, yeah, that, that, that is kind of the, the, the thing that I've been really 
I think surprised to see is that not only have my friends on the right shifted more to the left, I guess on this issue it would be to the left, right? But my friends on the left, so my right, my right wing friends have become centrists or, or, you know, sort of slightly liberal um, in, in light of police brutality. Whereas my kind of more moderate left wing friends have like become like Bolsheviks, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not just seeing posts that are like, yes, well, you know, of course, riots are bad, but you have to understand the psychology of it. And it's in response to this thing that's worse. Like, I can I understand that. But like to literally defend riot. And I've, and I've, I've seen it. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've seen it on weird grounds, too. Like, well, don't worry, their insurance will pay for it. And it's just, yeah. you know, I, I think that's crazy. I, I actually I, I think you might still be in here, but my very best friend uh, and I were talking about this. His name's Amir. And uh, and I was saying how, like, I totally get where they're at. And, and I, I kind of have the same mind. And I would never participate in a protest kind of period. And I certainly wouldn't do it violently. But um, I can totally wrap my head around why someone would start burning down, particularly the police station. The small businesses thing is, uh, is bizarre to me. But um, yes. worse than bizarre. Uh, but the more I think about what it's cost, um, the actual direction of reform for, for policing, I think that it's just kind of a net loss. Um, but I guess it's kind of right, really neither here nor there because for us, um, and I say that as, as for us as Christians, I think that we could be doing a, a better job of wrapping our minds around why it is that tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people would spill out into the streets of the US um, and in Europe. I mean, it's crazy that there's, there's these protests everywhere. And I don't think it's just because everyone agrees um, that there's institutional racism um, that manifests itself in the murder of, of black men in America, even though I think that's certainly part of it. I think it's a, a deeper sort of distrust and, and um, dissatisfaction with the way that life seems to be going, our standard of living sort of broadly, and then the things that we can attach to as people who are less happy than we thought we would be, uh, whether it's policing or trade or uh, foreign policy or whatever it may be. And, um, and it all sort of stems from Washington, D.C. or, um, you know, the U.K. central government you choose. But um, this, this feels a lot, often feel, I mean, just like after the Mike Brown killing um, and all the, the protests in Ferguson, it felt a lot bigger than Mike Brown. And obviously it is, right? Like police brutality is bigger than Mike Brown, but um, bigger than even policing in general in that, like, we we've fallen short of the ideals that we profess to hold. And instead we're living in some like weird gray area between utopia and dystopia that uh, is feeling more and more like the latter. Uh, like, and, and I think you see these shots of like riot gear policemen and stuff. Just, uh, I saw this video of a cop shoot a 40 millimeter grenade, smoke grenade into the face of this dude who was just like, walking mm -hmm. up unarmed like a white guy um and that could kill you or certainly maim you um and we could go on and on all night about the various videos we've seen but there's this culture i think of the state that is most accentuated in cops where like authority is the only real currency in social situations mm -hmm. and, and i know that's like a little bit of that bolshevik thing right like that's what yeah. they would say but I think that there's something to that when we start talking about like the civilian world, and I, I hate that term, and the state. I think that we, we all sort of feel that sort of innately, right? That like there is no, uh, I, I got a black market haircut last week. It was awesome. It was like a speakeasy in the 20s. I walked in, the, the lights were all like dim. They blacked the windows out. You had to go through the back door and he opened the, the door and he's like, you got an appointment? And I was like, yeah, man. And he's like, well, one thirty, I had this appointment. And so I walk in and it felt like you were trying to get into like, you know, some Vegas backdoor gambling club. Was it like a password? Did you have to say sort of yeah, yeah, right. Um, and 
that's all based on an understanding that like the, the health department can come in and they can bring the cops. They don't care if like some politicians mad about it. They're mad about or concerned about potential enforcement and whether it's some bureaucrat wearing a big B on their chest like Superman or if it's if it's a cop like we know that behind behind all of that is an army of feds and and local municipalities who are willing to go to bat for these people and I, I wonder if that's not more of the un like sort of unconscious friction that we're seeing um, and maybe where we could as Christians be bridging the gap a little better yeah, you know, well, you know, I was thinking about kind of first of all what you said earlier about um, about empathy, and um, I, you know, assume I, I don't know how many of the rioters are, are are sincere and how many of them are just you know kids trying to mess things up, or there's supposedly some of them are you know maybe undercover cops or white or, yeah. or, or, or white supremacists or whatever I don't know, but um, but but well, assuming think, you know, as a caveat there. I shudder yeah. to think about a Black Lives Matter protest and me at 16. I'd be the Molotov throwing cocktail guy 100% yeah. of the time. <laughs> you know, there's something there about like being a dumb teenager. Sure. Well, but, but, but when you think about, you know, the anger though, in being empathetic, um, I think as Christians, you know, we read, um, for example, what, what the Magnificat, Mary's speech um, um, when she was pregnant in Luke uh, chapter one. And she is reflecting on um, the fact that she's giving birth to this Messiah and what she feels like that means. And she, referring to God, says, he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And you think, what would make somebody feel that way <laughs> as, as they look at the world around them and says, and say, you know, God, you know, may you feed the hungry and send the rich away empty. You know, may you take the people who, who are in leadership and just bring them down from their thrones. And I think if, if we can't at least understand that, then I, I don't know that we're reading our Bible very well. And, and, you know, people talk about privilege and, you know, I think sometimes that's overstated, but there is something about, seeing things from one vantage point because of, because of what's familiar to you. And that, that does have a, a certainly an impact. I mean, on, on any side that where you're from, whether you're left or right or white or black or whatever, um, you're going to miss something because of, of where you're sitting. And I think um, part of the answer to that is to sort of go, okay, well, maybe we should actually be talking to people who think differently than us and understand what their concerns are. And while there are, you know, kind of weirdos and radicals out there, I think a lot about um, Gil Scott Heron, who is a, um, um, I don't know if he's a black nationalist, but um, kind of a revolutionary uh, musician and poet in the 60s and 70s. And um, he was talking about like, a conversation, in one of his songs that he, we'd have with like a, like a white hippie. And he said, um, you know, you know, you're interested in, in, in having sex in the streets and we're just interested in like, you know, having a place to live and being able to put food on our table for our families. And I think most people is, well, most people feel that way. They're in that middle space. You know, they're, they're the, you know, kind of nutty Molotov cocktail people or whatever and the, the white supremacists. But, um, but mostly I think we, we're all on that sort of, we just want to take care of, you know, have a job and be able to work and take care of our family and, and feel like we have a safe place to live. Yeah. And yeah. Right. I mean, it, it is, we all, we all crave the anarchy utopia, whether or not we, we know how to frame it that way. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, it's funny, uh, spicy Liu Kang here just, just came in. We, we talked at length about the efficacy or not um, of, of like a violent, a violent response to the state. And I vehemently oppose that. I think it's, it's bound to be ineffective and it will only kill the people who we most valuably want on our side, right? Like amongst us, the people who are most willing to act will be the ones uh, lost, just like every, uh, every foreign conflict that we can look at. Um, and I don't want to be the UK or Britain after World War I, where we're uh, dying to, to have our 
our uh, third of our, our, our men back. But um, I, I wonder, like, how, how can we relate to two, like, seemingly diametrically opposed viewpoints? One, and maybe George Floyd isn't the answer, but certainly these protests have, um, have sort of sparked the renewed, like, the two-party response to killings by police in general, where like, it's easy to make an argument against Black Lives Matter, and it's easy to make an argument against the cops. And so you kind of just, you, you get to your fighting holes and you stay there and, and you, you have no sense in talking. Um, and it makes me think that like, there has to be something in no man's land where we're coming out waving the white flag and really trying to engage these people. Um, and I, I just don't know that we, my, myself included, like I, I like making like memes, making fun of these people and just kind of, I have my views and I don't think I'm going to change any minds, but I'll talk to people close to me. Um, and I'll really try to drill down and I'll feel like I'm maybe getting somewhere and I'm, maybe I'm not changing hearts and minds and maybe that's not possible, but it certainly feels like that gets me a lot further than getting 10 likes on Instagram. And um, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to know where to go um, when so much is tied up into these issues. Like at my church, I think that there's probably a fair split of diehard Trump supporting conservatives uh, who profess to believe in Jesus. And then Obama era supporting left centrists who just cannot have a conversation with each other. And I think I've seen it enough to know that politics absolutely is affecting the way that church is, right? Like it's, it's hurting relationships in church that in a place where it really doesn't seem to have a place for me, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. And I wonder if it's not because the stakes are seeming to get higher or the fever pitch of like information everywhere getting higher. Uh, it's a weird thing to, to see, especially when I don't want to be on either team. Like I, I, <laughs> it's like that Simpsons meme about not liking either of the people. Like I don't, I don't want to be on either team, but I, I can get both of them. And it's like, you have to sit each of them down individually and have a conversation to hope to find some common ground. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, you know, there's this it, there's this term that sort of gets brought up in these partisan discussions of the lizard brain. You know that that we kind of at our core this very sort of primitive mindset about um, you know danger and and how we respond to it, and that we kind of activate well, po politicians and and um, you know partisans try to activate that lizard brain. And I think the thing is, um, I we're probably less partisan than we've ever been and we, in terms of support for a political party. You think so? Like, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think liberals like the Democratic Party and I don't think conservatives like the Republican Party. Oh, I, think I think they'll be more likely to vote for them than ever before. Well, but here's why. It's not because they like their party. It's because they're terrified of the other party. Okay, so it's anti-partisan. Yes, exactly. So, I, well, kind of. Well, we're not anti-partisan in the sense that we're, you know, we're, we're kind of open-minded or whatever. But I think what it is is that um, we sort of, you know, somebody like Donald Trump will come out, or, or Joe Biden will say, for example, and Biden will say, listen, I know I'm not great. I know that my mind doesn't yeah. seem to work very well. And, and, and I know that I've, I've probably sexually assaulted people in the past. But I'm not this guy. Right. This that's guy really is really interesting point. Yeah. And, and I think that's why people... You know, in the last election, for example, how many people do you think positively voted for Donald Trump? And how many people do you think positively voted for Hillary Clinton versus against Donald Trump or against Hillary Clinton? Yeah, I, it's, I was just talking to a, a doctor I work with the other day who, if I were gun to my head, had to guess who he voted for, I would have said the Green Party or something. Very mm -hmm. like intelligent, well-read, and concerned about the environment. Like those are top issues for him. And yeah. uh, he voted for Trump and he voted for Trump because Hillary Clinton represented so much of what he hates about politics. And so as you're saying that, I'm thinking about him and, and like, that's a hundred percent true. And we all know that, but to put it in that sense that, yeah, it's not partisanship. It's not that we all love our respective parties as much as we 
we loathe the other ones, which yeah. to me is almost more scary because that's a symptom of, did you read, um, I know we talked about it. Did you read Hate Inc. by Matt Taibbi? I know, I didn't. Uh, so it's, uh, it's amazing. And he talks about how like, there's a, there's a financial incentive for media companies, regardless of what you want to talk about for fake news, there's a financial incentive to, to get there. Like, thank you for that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting confused because I'm trying to look at these comments. Um, there's a financial incentive with these mass media companies to, to just rile up your base. You don't want to ever speak to the other side. Fox doesn't care what leftists think. And MSNBC doesn't care what uh, Fox News viewers think because you'll never reach them. And so instead you, you elevate the other side and all of their anger. And that's the clicks that you get to monetize. You'll never monetize the other people. So it doesn't matter speaking to them. Um, and, and I wonder if that's not part of this. I think there's like this sort of like, right? All these threads are coming together. All, and, and we're seeing this as like a flashpoint for all of these major social ills. And I wish as a good anarchist that I could say that it's all state related. I don't think it is. Um, but what I'm bummed about, just sort of generally speaking, is how seemingly easy it is to manipulate people's opinions on things and make them, like, sort of guide them towards a path. Like, this whole if, conversation if about... In, huh? so if you tap into the right motive, it's easy. Right. Yeah, right? well, there's this, this meme going around about bricks being left everywhere, right? Which, to my mind, is, like... You're, you're robbing all of these people at these protests of any individual agency whatsoever by suggesting that just leaving a pallet of bricks will ultimately mean they're throwing it through windows. Now, they are, and so like, you're not wrong, but what does that mm -hmm. mean? What's the implication if you could just leave a stack of potential projectiles somewhere and you know an angry mob is gonna utilize them? Um, yeah. And I don't know that that's the case or not. My, my point is like, that's sort of a cross section, I think, of this whole issue is that there is a, a fairly like easy strain of both of these like ideological parties to manipulate and to make them sort of steer into the direction that you, you want them to, whoever you may be. Um, and I don't know how we break that down by, by, by what, what my inclination as a Christian is, which is to like, talk about the gospel but um how do we well, get that in there you know yeah yeah you know they say you can have a movement without a god but you can't have a movement without a devil <laughs> and, and i think that that's really what what's going on when i said you know if you motivate people properly you can get them to believe anything and, and that motivation is fear that someone is out to get them there, there's an organization uh, that a friend of mine david lapp has been uh, involved in uh putting together and, and keeping going. Uh, it was called Better Angels. They just changed the name to Braver Angels. But um, what, what they've been trying to do is get people together who are partisan, or maybe not partisan, people who voted Hillary or, or, or um, you know, Trump in the last election, and get them to actually talk to each other. <laughs> and they've actually been surprised at how effective it's been once you kind of break down all, the, all that nonsense. Um, and, and one relationship in particular that he's talked about is a relationship between a white, you know, gun-toting Trump voter and Muslim um, Hillary voter <laughs> that developed and that not just developed, but that has really, um, you know, kind of flowered, that has grown. And um, I think it, it was kind of surprising is that these are people who are motivated to think of each other as part of this kind of conspiracy against them, right? Um, and so, you know, if you are a, a white conservative Trump voter, you're afraid of Sharia law coming in, right? And, and if you're a, a Muslim Democrat who, you know, minds your business and pays your taxes, whatever, you are terrified of, you know, the, the sort of anti-Muslim, you know, Donald Trump fever. And so, you know, ultimately you're, you're just trying to stop the other guy from hurting you, which I think does, does definitely fit into this sort of anarchist or libertarian yeah. concern government violence, right? You know, if we're, if, if we have to live our, our, our lives, presumably, I don't know if we actually do, but let's say we do in fear of, um, of who's going to be president next or who's going to be elected to office next. We don't really, I don't think we have a very good system in place, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think, um,
the, my my uh, my friend here, Spicy Liu Kang. He's he's yeah, yeah, thank you. But he's he said yeah, something that I I've been thinking a lot about in that like to that same point we and, and again th this is easy for me right as the anarchist to say like we should be focusing more on the state and less upon like our disagreements with Black Lives Matter or the cops or whom I mean the cops represent the state but aren't I mean we all know cops who probably aren't the worst people in the world or who are decent people. Um, mm -hmm who in any other sense may just be like a security guard if everything was privatized. I don't know. But we spend too much time like battling amongst ourselves and picking various intersectional categories to like cut people off at. And I think that it does us a huge disservice. And maybe that's the thing that we, we drive as Christians is like, look, we can, we can try to adjudicate all these petty issues, but the coalition is us as individuals who are not agents of some enforcement wing of the government or some bureaucracy and instead like let's let's build around taking that apart and not violently but in whatever means necessary um i i i think that there's something really important there because the more i think about how like i can I can't wrap my mind around the rhetoric of like a given group that I disagree with, the more I think I lose sight of the fact that it doesn't really matter. Like if I were to have my, my anarchist utopia or your minarchy, um, uh, inevitable dystopia, um, uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we want to live peaceably amongst ourselves in small communities. And like, if we can't even decentralize our own ways of thinking, how can we ask people who have never even thought about these like super small government ideals to do that in like normal political discourse, right? Yeah, uh, you know, so for me, there, there's the connection between um, you know my Christian faith and, and my political attitudes. In that, you know, you think about like for example, what Paul says in Ephesians six that um, um, there are these powers and principalities that we're fighting against. And th those, are, those are political terminology. That's, that's a, those are political terms. And yet Paul uses them to refer to these spiritual forces that are behind political agents. And my, my, my plug for today is my book, Fight the Powers, what the Bible says about the relationship between spiritual forces and human governments. But there is a connection. And but what I think we, we forget is what Paul says elsewhere, is that our weapons aren't carnal. You know, it, when we're fighting a spiritual battle, you, you don't pick up a, a Molotov cocktail or a gun. Uh, you know, there, there, George, um, the song about George Fox, who was um, one of the, the major founders of the, um, uh, the Quaker movement. Um, and, uh, and the song, you know, George Fox is asked, will you, um, will you pick up a gun and fight for your Lord? And George Fox says, but you can't kill the devil with a gun or a sword. <laughs> um, but, but, but what we do though, there are these spiritual things that are, that have an impact in, in the real world, but, what we should be more concerned about is what's behind those things. And I think we can talk about policy as well. Um, I mean, ultimately, if, if we believe what we do about coercion and violence, and if, if anybody happens to agree with me that there's a spiritual component, um, a negatively spiritual component to political power, then I think you're going to want to try to minimize that as much as possible. As, uh, as Peter uh, said, you know, basically, you know, pray for, um, pray for, for, for the emperor that he would leave you alone, <laughs> that you can live lives of peace. And you know, Peter isn't saying, you know, destroy the state, but he's, you know, I don't think there's any hope at that point that that's going to happen anytime soon when he's writing. Right. But he, he is saying like, you know, however much state there is, you just want to try to avoid it. Like, you know, you live your life and be concerned about what you want to do and, and, and what's important to you. And just hope that the state ignores you <laughs> because not a lot of good is going to come from them noticing you. Right. Um, but, but when it, when it comes to solutions, it, it is interesting to me, um, because I think it is, I see it as primarily an issue. Uh, the issue is violence. I, I think that racism factors in. Um, but I think when you're talking specifically about, uh, deaths at the hands of police officers, um, solutions that have targeted race specifically have been less effective. Right. Um, and, and less meaningful because we know that this is not just a singular issue for a given yeah. race. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you can talk about, you know, the numbers, the disparities between black and white people and, and people sure. argue about what, what the, you know, why that is. Is that because black people are being targeted? Is that because of, you know, high black crime rates, whatever, maybe a little bit of both. Um, but at, at the end of the day, the problem, you know, is violence because if I'm a racist cop, but I know that I'm not going to get away with choking you, um, <laughs> then, then, you know, it doesn't matter how racist I am. Um, ultimately it's, it's the, the, the knowledge that I can kill you and get away with it or harm you and get away with it or, or right. whatever. That's the problem. And so the solutions that have been the most effective, and, and this is, you know, this has been studied out and looked at have not been like implicit bias training or, um, um, you know, adding more black officers to the force at a, a certain point that does um, like, you know, if you're up past like 30% black police forces, you'll start to see the culture change a little bit. I think because black people, are more likely to believe that police violence is a problem <laughs> right. um, because it's more of the narrative and the experience. But, um, but what has been most effective are these solutions that specifically target violence and limit its use. Um, so like limiting the use of force, um, uh, taking away military weapons from police officers. Um, th th those have made a difference. And there are other ideas too, that I think we should look at. Um, for example, requiring, so assuming we don't just privatize all the police. So assuming we don't do that, what we could do is bring in privatization solutions like um, requiring police officers to carry private insurance. Because right now, if a police officer kills somebody on the street, the city pays for it and the police officer maybe keeps his job. So, so when I say the city pays for it, if the, if the, if the city is sued, um, right. that, doesn't, that money doesn't come away from the police department, they still get funded. But, but the taxpayer has to pay for what the police officer has done. Now, if every time a police officer had a complaint filed on him, mm -hmm. that information went back to his insurance, um, you know, pretty much all the police officers that we've seen, because the, the majority of these incidents come from a, a small minority of police officers. And the, the, the um, um, oh shoot, George, um, sorry, his last name, I just, just slipped my mind. Gen uh, the gentleman who was just killed. Um, Thought I had it on here. George Floyd, the officer who killed George Floyd, had a record. Right. And 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 so, if if all that had to be reported back to private insurance, he would have been gone. He couldn't have afforded to keep his insurance. He couldn't be continue to be a police officer. And so I think that's an example of a privatization solution um, may, being better than what we've got right now, where the state can pretty much do what it wants, and you know they only really care if they think we're looking. <laughs> Well, and I have this really difficult time with balancing my desire to see it all torn away at once, um, particularly issues like like the military and cops, where um, the most tangible bloodshed is coming from and appreciating that like reform is sort of the way of the like overarching narrative. So if I had my way, I would privatize them all tonight, like sign the law, king of the world. This is what's happening. But um, I don't. I don't disagree that like that that alternative is is great and I and I think that you know ultimately like a culture change needs to happen. You spoke about um studies being done about like uh 30% of a police force being black and I think that that's fair um except to say that uh yeah Camden that's funny. Um so there was like a a town in uh I don't even remember the state but I was just reading about it today. <laughs> that uh oh it was in uh it was in New Jersey. Jersey yeah 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 thank you um which is super interesting but i mean maybe if we were able to break the like seemingly inexorable connection between the feds and states and let states kind of do it on their own that we'd have better luck but i i don't know that these alternatives are going to solve our problems and i don't know that even bandying about with what may or may not work is useful for us as people who want something so much smaller than all of it. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's kind of maddening because on one hand, like I, I, I know in my heart of hearts what I'd like to see, but I, I also appreciate that like that may not be a reality. Um, and so it's getting there or even like in that direction. And it seems like, um, like a like a Black Lives Matter solution is is very sort of myopic. We're not looking at um, institutional power disparity. We're looking at institutional power disparity related to race. 
And though I think that's fair enough to, con to consider, and I don't, I don't disparage them for like holding those views, I, I think we're really missing the like, kneeling on their neck is not, um, is not a racial thing per se. It certainly maybe, but it, it's the, the, the diverse cops for this George Floyd killing almost felt like it was meant out of a sitcom. Like we got the intersectionality we were looking for. Our culture in policing is the problem. And like, how can we, how, how can we like try to, how, how can we break through that as Christians or like, I've seen this plenty of times, but like there's Christian cops out there, people who are professing to be Christ followers, who I, I have to believe are in their own minds doing what's right. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't know how that, how that comes together. And I don't know for people like us who are in such a small minority, maybe the conversation doesn't even matter because you and I certainly aren't gonna change the world, but I mean, if there's any wisdom to be gained from minarchist, anarchist people talking about Christian values and policing, like what is it if not, what is it if not what you said? Like, I, I don't know, I'm at, I'm at a loss. And that's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation in the first place. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think, you know, government is violence and so, you know, I, I guess I kind of consider myself a minarchist, but I do have these anarchist leanings. And I, I guess I'll, I'll borrow a term. I, I've got friends uh, who are universal, what they call um, hopeful universalists, uh, which means you know they, they don't necessarily know if everybody is going to be saved, but they like to think it would happen. And, and I guess I, I could maybe call myself a hopeful anarchist. And, and the way I would say that is, you know, maybe maybe we do need a little bit of government, right? And so if that's the case, let's just try to, you know, to keep, keep cutting it off, keep chipping away. Like, you know, when, you, when, you, when, a, when an artist, a sculptor has a piece of marble um, that he doesn't like, he doesn't necessarily throw it away. He just, you know, chips it away and chips away the parts he doesn't like until, he, until it seems like it's what it should be. And um, so, you know, my attitude would be, hey, let's see how close we can get to anarchism and still, and still have, you know, people's rights, liberty, and, and property protected. <laughs> and... Um, but I think we, we, we do need to be having these conversations about – I don't think people realize what government is and what force is. And, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a, a bunch of cops can make an excuse for choking out a guy because he's selling loose cigarettes on a sidewalk, um, then I think, you know, uh, you know, where are we at as a country? That, 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 because ultimately I, we, we've forgotten that laws – are backed up with force and that the state is force and that police are violence. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'd like to see that shift away as much as possible. Mm. I'd like to see that power shift away as much as possible. And if we can get it all the way to, to down to nothing, that, that sounds fine if, as long as it works. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I do think that we need to move in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was hoping that I'd be more hopeful after talking to you, and I don't think that I am, but oh, I want to remind everyone of, um, of a case that I recently reread for a meme of all things, and that um, I think we're all familiar with, the shooting of Daniel Shaver in Mesa PD, uh, from Mesa PD. And I didn't know this until this week, but um, the cop that shot and killed him, who was ultimately fired and then found not guilty of any charges, uh, after giving him confusing messages to an obviously inebriated guy who was sobbing and pulling at his pants reflexively as he crawled on the floor and he shot him several times with a rifle. Um, he was given PTSD related pension disability and he was rehired by Mesa PD to do that. And if that doesn't speak to the, the culture of policing in the US, I don't know what does. And it's not to say that um, that he probably doesn't have issues or that uh, there wasn't some justifiable legal right for him to shoot him. I don't even care. If anyone can watch that video and think that that guy didn't objectively, objectively did not need to die, you're, 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 you're absolutely an anti-human person. And 
you know, I almost said, I don't want to be friends with you, but I, the unfriend me thing after every Facebook post is making me want to <laughs> jump off a bridge. Um, yeah. I want to be friends with everybody, but man, it, it makes me crazy. Uh, yeah. and well, well maybe, maybe that, that's where we should be. We can be a little bit more hopeful. I mean, I, I think we do need to, we do need to be friends with these people. I mean, we, we need to talk to people who have these attitudes and change their minds. Um, and maybe it would be better to not do most of that on Facebook if we're if we're able to get together with people in person or even on the phone. I mean, you know, it's it it, it makes an it makes a difference. I think to the tone and um, also you're sort of thinking on your feet. But um, so as opposed to you know uh, having time to really craft a devastating response, you know, you you're, you remember talking to a human being. But uh, you know, I think for me, you know. From a Christian perspective, I don't know when, um, you know, when Jesus comes back and when everything gets um, what I What I do know is that it happens, right? So there is, uh, you know, the, the, the spoiler alert is that, that he wins, right? So, you know, I don't know when that happens. I don't know what happens before then. You know, is, is, is it possible that, that America crumbles because we can't get it together? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, but... But I think I think we shouldn't give up hope because we need to be stopping that from happening. We need to be using our, our power and our influence. Well, I mean, not power. That sounds a little weird in this context, of this conversation. But our influence and our, our spiritual power and our intellectual power mm-hmm. to be having conversations about pulling things back and humanizing ourselves. There are some dangers. I mean, like I think a lot of um, the polarization has to do with social media and that we've kind of dehumanized other people we're arguing with. And when you have something so addictive like social media, you know, how, how do you pull, get people off of that? And oh, and uh, there was a there was a comment someone had asked. I'm, I'm not a Christian. Um, does that exclude me? Um, I, yeah. So I, I'm talking from a perspective as a Christian, but but ultimately, um, yeah, I, I think we all need to be part of these conversations. Um, oh, yeah. I think anybody who has something to contribute should share it, and and I think. Um, I think there's a lot in Christianity about nonviolence, about non-aggression. Hey, sorry. I don't know uh, what happened. It gave me a countdown and then shut me off. Um, I just want to bring uh, Cody in here really quick to conclude, to wrap up. Um, but I'm sorry that we got cut off. I can't believe we had um, we had 10 people watching, which is really encouraging. Um, for whatever reason, it was counting me down as we reached the hour mark. And I don't know if that's because you only have so much time or whatever, but, um, ultimately I, I appreciate everybody hanging out and, uh, and Cody on here to just kind of plug whatever he needs to plug and, um, and say final remarks, but I appreciate everybody being patient with us. Yeah, this was awesome, man. I want, I want to keep doing stuff like this. Uh, I don't think Instagram records, unfortunately, so this is probably lost to the ages. But no, 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 I got uh, which it. is good. You got it? okay, good. Oh, well, my, I was going to say maybe, maybe it would be better if it didn't, because then I don't have to worry about being canceled. But, um, yeah, uh, but no, th- yeah, this was awesome, and I appreciate uh, all the all the uh, the comments, and especially Spicy Liu Kang. He's quite the oh, he's cheerleader. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I love when people do this and you watch a live video, like they'll just be like, oh, I'm doing my hair or something. Like, what is this? And you click it and they, you know, like, oh crap, they see that I've joined. I need to get out of here. Maybe. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, man, so th- this is awesome. Um, a- anything, anything you want? Well, I-, I mentioned the one book that was relevant to this that I, that I plugged. Another book that I wrote, um, A Second Adam, um, was on Kindle and paperback and just became available on Audible. Um, so that's also there. But, uh, but yeah, man, this is um, great. Yeah. Thank you. For yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad that we did this together. I think, uh, depending on what your schedule looks like, I could do this every day. This is, I, <laughs> I love talking about this stuff and I really appreciate being able to talk about it with you because every time we talk, we have good conversation and it's, I'm, I'm craving like the opportunity to talk in, in like an, with a limited government perspective about Christian issues and how we as Christians should relate, because I am not by any means like the, the source on Christian stuff and um, whether it's scripture or just like how we're supposed to live or what church should be like. And I, I always kind of look to you as someone who um, that you've 
read much more about this. You're formally educated on it. Um, and you've got the kind of got the receipts, right? These books that you were so gracious to send me are amazing. Um, I actually just finished the second Adam uh, recently and haven't done my Google review, but I'm going to work on it. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming by and for everybody who uh, hung out for not one, but two uh, IG lives. I'm going to hope to do this like, I don't know, maybe, maybe biweekly to start. And I'm open to suggestions or whom, whatever anybody wants. This is going to be my sort of replacement for uh, I have no time to in my mind to do a podcast or like the upfront cost of a podcast. Um, but this seems reasonable enough and it's a way for me to kind of talk to people. So um, obviously, Cody, whenever you're available, let's do it. Yeah, if you have this recorded, I'd be happy to host it on mine because if anybody's interested, I've had you on twice, I think, so far on my Campus Firmus podcast, which I think there was some issue with iTunes where it's being updated, but you can always find it at cantus-firmus.com. Um, but I think some of the older ones, should, the older one that we did would be on there. But but yeah, so we, we, we've talked a couple of times before, and I'd be happy uh, if anybody wants this on as an archive, I'd be happy to include it. Yeah, I'm going to figure out how to do that. It's, it asked me to put it on IGTV. I don't know what that means. I hit yes. So okay. It works out. Awesome. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.